The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Today is October 4th, and this program is live from the Empirical Towers in Seattle. Ethan and I are certified financial planners. I have a master's degree in financial analysis. Ethan has one in financial planning, and this show is designed to share with you prudent investment and financial planning advice, the likes of which we hope will guide you through a lifetime of smarter financial decisions. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. Good to see you. Hey, it's good to be here. Today on the show, Ethan, I thought uh, before you give out our contact information and all that jazz you like to do, I thought I'd uh, preface we'd talk a little bit about... Oh, those jazz hands, too? Yeah, little jazz, jazz hands, hands for you. Um, I thought we could talk today a little bit about market uh, projections, uh, what what a person might expect over the next decade, and uh, a framework for using that in a financial planning setting. And uh, contrast that with the daily market predictions that we see by the myriad of blog and web newsletter type posters in the financial media at large. That sounds pretty good. Okay. Well, let's do it then. All right. Before we do all that, why don't you go ahead and uh, give out our, our contact information? I love it when I do this part of the show. It's the, it's the easy part. I give out some contact information, then we get some callers, and then Ken talks for a little while, and I well, participate a little bit. Maybe today's our lucky day. Anyhow, uh, if you'd like to, to join the program today, feel free to give us a call at 866-472-5790. Again, that's 866-472-5790. Or if you prefer, you can reach us via email at contact at empiradio.com. And if you're, you know, an individual investor out there looking for perhaps a second opinion on your portfolio or perhaps uh, you're getting ready to retire and you want to know that you're on track for retirement, um, give us a call. We'd love to walk you through our process uh, and help you understand where you're at and how better to structure what you have to get where you want to go. And for that, you might want to give us a call at the office line here here at the Empirical Towers uh, downtown Seattle at 206-923-3474. And feel free to ask for Ken or Ethan. And if you're a professional investment advisor out there looking to perhaps partner up with a very well-established firm that has built um, a great infrastructure uh, for helping you make, helping you deliver quality advice to your clients, we'd love to hear from you as well. Number there is 206-923-3474. Give us a shout. 
That's more like a karate chop. Oh, all right. Well, uh, you know, I'm working with what I have here. Were you, were you digging with, these. for the whole time I was talking, looking for the, uh, no, the, actually, the correct response? some other information. <laughs> but no, uh, that being said, Ethan, um, please do give us a call. And uh, please take advantage of our offer to, to give you a free evaluation of your current financial plan and uh, investment plan. So that we'd love great. to do that for you. Okay, Ethan. So here's what's going on. This is why I want to talk about this. Um, you know, market day to day continues to be volatile and unpredictable, as you know. Indeed. I don't have to tell you. True. And uh, what we're trying to do is help people meet their financial objectives. And I think a lot of people get caught up in the information out there that, uh, uh, particularly from the gurus that get the press. And a couple of those, uh, we're writing a letter, um, quarterly communication here. And we're, we're updating what, what I refer to as capital market expectations, um, and determining something called the equity premium. Right. So a lot of academic papers have been written about this concept of the equity premium. And that's the definition of that is, well, if I'm investing and I choose to allocate to stocks, uh, say publicly traded stocks, in lieu of something like a treasury, which what's the current yield on the 10-year treasury right now, Ethan, around 2.5% or so? Yeah, around 2.5 or so, I'm guessing. I can okay. check for us, but go ahead. 22 Something like this. Uh, I'll give you the exact. Uh, it's approximately 2.2. Wow, really? Um, Amazing. Oh, actually, hold on. Yeah, somewhere around there. And um, looking at the wrong table. But uh, the idea right being, here. hey, if 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 throughout history, uh, I was investing. Wow. Hang on. Oh, hold the phone. You ready for this? Okay. 1.67 is a 10-year treasury right now. The 30-year is 2.89. Okay, that's it. Wow. Yeah, shockingly low. Shockingly, we when we were doing an update on this capital market in 2007, the Treasury. I was just reading our paper that we'd written back then was at five, over five percent for the ten-year Treasury. Wow! So that's right. Um, okay, so one would you say one point six seven percent on the ten-year Treasury? That's exactly right. Okay, so if you're investing in stocks at a time when the Treasury was yielding in 2007, for example, it was yielding over five percent. The difference in your expected return uh, between stocks and treasuries, if if you expected the return to be higher in stocks, say, over a 10-year period, would be the equity premium. And so if we look back in time, maybe start with that, uh, go back to ni- the, the, the late 20s, um, and what you see is about a 6% per year uh, equity premium, a return over the 10-year treasury. So mm-hmm. Derek, run those numbers for us for our letter. And that's been about it. And then there's a lot of debate, which is, what is it going to be now? Well, what will it be? And you have guys like Bill Gross from PIMCO, who continues to make some pretty, um, what could be called outlandish uh, predictions. And in spite of the fact that he's been wrong, um, very wrong a few times in, in a couple of examples, that right now he's he's saying that um, that forward stock returns will be low and that uh, he he likens the investing in stocks to a Ponzi scheme. Um, and the big thing is, the quote, is the cult of equity is dying. Now, conveniently, he, the fund that they 
he's been involved in is primarily fixed income assets, bonds. Um, he made some predictions back in 2002. And actually, I saw today, um, if we were going to do our little, you know, we do the, the vault segment, Ethan. I have it right here, the same one, I think. Uh, let's do this real quick. Hold on. We're going to pull those predictions out of the vault. Ethan's reaching back it's through too time heavy. and space. It's too heavy. No, it looks like I got it. Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. Um, and what you see is, it's cool, there's an article, um, Daily Finance. Is anyone still listening to Bill Gross? And um, they they do a pretty good job of cataloging some of the things, uh, predicting Dow 5,000. So he predicted um, that the market, this was back in, I think, 2002, 2003 time period that the market was going to go to 5,000 on the Dow. Um, it actually got reasonably close, but it was six six years after he made that prediction, and he didn't predict the financial crisis. It was based on a different evaluation criteria that he had. Um, so if you were shorting the market, as an example, waiting for it to go down between the year 2002, uh, September of 2002, um, to 2007 when it finally started to decline from somewhere what got up to close to 14,000. Yeah, all over. Um, you, you would have been out of, you would have been out of money. You would have been broke long before his prediction ever came close to being correct, which it was never got down to 5,000. So his prediction in 2002 was in September of His prediction was pain. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Like Mr. T. Um, <laughs> Right, but shortly after that prediction, ironically, the market uh, was gangbusters for several years. Yeah, and if you look at our globally diversified equity model, that was our middle of the road. Uh, it averaged around nineteen percent a year from two thousand three, I think, through two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty powerful time to be out of stocks. Yeah, shorting stocks, for example. And the point of this is, it, throughout financial history, Ethan, people. I have to believe, and I wasn't around thousands of years ago, but from everything I've read about market history, people have been trying to predict what the return prospects of are of various investments that were available throughout history. Um, I don't think this idea of trying to make a prognostication or prediction about where stock prices or bonds are going to be is anything new. Right. And the point of this discussion, I think, is if you if you do, we created that whole vault idea with the concept that the fact that you're wrong a lot of the time doesn't seem to deter the media from putting you on. Um, and another big one was a guy named Harry Dent, who actually is cited as a best-selling author. He's an economist that um, makes market predictions in large part a lot of times to demographical uh, waves uh, is one of the things he's done. Yep. And the, in the late 90s, I think he was making a prediction that the Dow would be somewhere around 20,000 um, by 2000 or something of that area. The one I have that's specific is the Dow hitting 40,000. Yeah, there you go. That's what I remember. Come on now. I read the book. Wait for when it. When that came out. Wait for it. Uh, 2006, January 2006. And I think this is what's going to blow your mind. Uh, he was saying the Dow is hitting 40,000 by the end of the decade, right? Right, right. Well, it didn't hit 40,000, although it would have been interesting to see if that did. And now I found this clip uh, from CNBC. I thought I'd play it. I don't know if we have time. We got a few minutes. Uh, he's projecting the Dow to hit 
three, three close to three thousand in the next three thousand mark over the next three years. Over the next three years, here's Maria Bartiromo. Bartiromo, I'm sorry. Up on Dow three thousand, though. In fact, Harry Dent is back with us, and he's going one step further. He says investors would be lucky to get zero percent in stocks. Get this: over the next decade, even more interesting. He says baby boomers are to blame. Harry, Dow three thousand territory, really? You know, Maria, this happens every 40 years. You get a generation earns and spends more money and more numbers. And then like from late 29 to 42, stocks were down sideways for over a decade. Same thing after the 60s boom, down in the 70s and early 80s when the Bob Hope generation stopped. Now we're simply running out of baby boomers. There's nobody to buy more houses and to spend all this money that the Fed's putting in the economy. Old people spend less, especially after age 46 to 50. So we can track this and stock markets go so I'll play the whole clip, Ethan. We only got a couple minutes before we have to take a break ourselves here. But um, and then you have other guys. Uh, Eric pulled up a, a guy by the name of uh, uh, Hayes, who's projecting the market to go up something like thirty percent over the next year. Um, and <laughs> what I'd like to talk about. <laughs> so you got one extreme to the other, huh? Yeah, the Harry thing confuses me completely because he goes, he he, he his whole marketing pitch must be making either excessively high projections or excessively low and getting some sort of attention. I don't know how anyone buys his books. He launched, I don't know if you knew this, he launched a fund in 2009 that's already been shut down. (laughs) Um, So we'll continue this discussion after we take a a little break. Sounds good. We'll be right back. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm my name is simon Liu, portfolio manager with empirical wealth management inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307 that's 1-800-923-4307 or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at empiricalfs.com. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? 
Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, we're back Empirical Investing Radio. Your co-host, uh, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith here. If you'd like to join the program, feel free to give us a call today at 866-472-5790 or contact at empiradio.com. And Ken, right before the break, we're just talking about uh, uh, gurus, market gurus, and specifically Harry Dent. Um, right right before the break, you mentioned he had a came out with an ETF or a mutual fund or something in 2009? Yeah, there was an ETF that was put together, the Dent uh, Fund, that was based around his his uh, approach. Yeah. And it, it, uh, Eric and I were just doing some research on him for the letter purposes <laughs> that we're writing. And uh-huh. he, uh, it's already been closed. And um, it, miserably, it was underperforming the market in general. Uh, and you notice that's – I've noticed that that happens quite a bit. Um, a lot of the guys that are out there yelling out predictions, it's easy to do it when they're not – it's not – their predictions aren't tied to any uh, investment that's publicly tracked. So, for example, uh, what's his name? Kramer, Jim Cramer. I was right. Bill Cramer. They're all mixed. Um, Jim Cramer gets on TV and makes ridiculous investment recommendations. I mean um, – it, 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 uh, it's 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 very upsetting to me actually the, the stuff that goes on uh, with this program. Other than it's pure, if you looked at it from if you derived some sort of entertainment value out of it, yeah. Um, which then I have a question: what, what kind of a person gets <laughs> enjoyment out of that? But that's a whole different show, Ethan. And we're not doing that today. Maybe maybe next week. My point is, there's no Jim Cramer mutual fund that we can track all his recommendations. There's no publicly traded trackable fund. Yeah. So it's very easy, and I, I have a I have a belief that there's a reason for that because he probably does quite well using the show to leverage into books and other things that he does to make money. Mm-hmm. They doesn't need to put himself out there in that type of a position. It would be very interesting to, to see the Jim Cramer mutual fund and see how well it does, see how well he does um, over a period of time. Indeed. So anyway, um, we track all the portfolios for our clients as an example, produce those and, and report them to our clients, they see what they got. We don't just make random recommendations or write newsletters and then no one really holds anybody accountable mm-hmm. to those returns. 
So in this case, it's kind of interesting. When they do, there was another guy that we talked about on a previous show that had a theory. Um, I don't know if it was the dividend strategy and uh, had launched a fund around that that eventually got closed because of the poor performance. It happens all the time. The major brokerage companies and mutual fund complexes launch strategies and they kill the strategies or bury the performance of the strategies when they don't work out. So you have to be very aware of that um, right. in how you're evaluating all of this. The point of it is, though, Ethan, coming back around, because we could read about um, – oh, by the way, on, on Bill Gross's uh, prediction, in April uh, he made a prediction of 2009. And he said, hey, earnings are going to be very low going forward. This is um, – yeah. Market bottom to March, right? Yeah. April 2009 in his, his investment outlook, uh, publication. He said, Hey, bear mark, uh, bull markets, the time of the bull market is over with. We're going to have lower future returns and earnings are going to be compressed and profit margins are going to be compressed. So we ran the numbers on this. I got them right here in front of me, Ethan. And, um, since April, uh, from April to, uh, to, uh, October here, uh, earnings growth, the annual earnings growth rate, um, has been 15% per year. So from the time he wow. made that statement, um, earnings have recovered, have been growing at an average of 15. And the S&P 500 from April 1st, when he published that to yesterday, uh, cause at the time, I don't have today's data yet, when we were looking at this, 90, the, the S&P is up 92.67%. Hmm. So that's an if if you were reading that and saying, "Hey, this is a really bright guy," which he is, and L, uh, his his partner there, the guy that currently heads up the the Pimco, yeah, L. Moran is that I don't, yeah, was was doing the tour with him, you know, about this new what they were calling the new norm. It would have been a dramatic mistake to at that time say, hey, uh, unless you'd already gotten out of the market, that's a whole different story. But he was publishing this in April, mm-hmm. that going from today forward. And same thing with the Harry Dent scenario, right? If you really bought into the market going to 40000 by 2010, um, you know, somebody who otherwise maybe shouldn't have been investing in heavily in stocks would have tilted their portfolio only to have him now telling you that the Dow's going down to 3,000. Um, and none of the predi- major predictions I've seen from him have been accurate. But there could be some. I didn't go through them all. But the ones that have been put in front of me, none of them have been accurate. Right. Um, and the point is, how does someone frame all of this? Because it's coming at you all the time, right? And the reason why CNBC would put a guy, a, a, a crazy guy like Harry Dent or anyone on, they love that stuff, Right. Yeah. The wilder the prediction, the more interesting it is, and they don't have to take responsibility for it. So they're happy to march these guys on. <clears throat> and a lot of times it seems it's the doom and gloom stuff yeah. that gets the attention. Sure. Um, although during the bubble, there certainly was no shortage of, uh, like I said, Harry was saying. Um, Extreme high, right? Yeah. 40,000. 40, right. But here's the thing. <clears throat> If there is a process, and we've looked at all the different, a variety of different papers on trying to determine, how do you determine if there's, what market, say stock and bond returns are going to be, and what the difference between those two is? You know, is there going to be an equity premium? 
So as a debate might be in the past, it was 6%. You got a 6% per year edge by owning stocks over just owning treasury bonds. Will that continue or persist? Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that Bill Gross is saying not only will it not persist, but it will be negative. There'll be a lower return in stock than in bonds. That's what he was saying during some of his, his, his uh, writings there or, or investment updates. <clears throat> now, in order to make that decision, you'd really want to put it in some sort of academic context or framework mm-hmm. and say, well, what, what research ha- has been published or what do we know about where returns come from? And one of the, the best things I've seen is, is from the founder of the Vanguard company, John Bogle. And several years ago, he published in a book called Common Sense on Mutual Funds, his method of how he looks at where market returns come from and how you explain them, and how you might use that to get a general idea. And even he said a general idea. It's not 100% accurate. In fact, using the model, if you went back to 2000 and you use this model, uh, it would have projected about a a 7.38% return on the S&P 500 for 2000 through the end of 2009, when in reality we had about a negative 0.95% 0.95% per year return. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work well um, during extreme kind of systematic or systemic like the Great Depression. Yeah. But most other 10-year periods of time, it's worked reasonably well. In fact, about a third of the time it's worked very well, a third of the time reasonably well, and about a third of the time not so well at all. <clears throat> but it's the best of the various models that I've seen out there. And so it's a, it's an approach that we incorporate to take a look. And, and when I look deeper into the data, Ethan, you can really see, well, what I'm really after here is if I am going to take equity risk, um, is there going to be a premium over treasuries? Mm-hmm. So if right now the treasury is yielding 1.6, right. what I'm more interested in is saying, well, those lower yields, we've done some research on this, tend to, to go with lower inflation. And as inflation increases, you see yields come up, right? Right. So the real return might be less volatile than the just looking at the stated return or yield. Because if inflation was 3% and the historical treasury was 5 right, there would be a 2% premium over inflation as an example. Mm-hmm. Well, what if inflation was 10% and the treasury yield was 12 it's still a 2% premium over inflation, right? Right. And that's the real relationship that we're, we need to be aware of because it's our real inflation adjusted dollars that you're spending, the future Ethan is spending. That's right. That you're putting away today. Mm-hmm. And who wants to put those dollars away only to have future Ethan spending less of them? Because the current and future Ethan likes to spend as many dollars as he can. <laughs> well, who doesn't like that? Oh, okay. But you get my point, right? I think I well, um, I think so. So now in that same relationship between inflation and interest rates, well, if I get 10% at a particular time um on a on a 10-year treasury bond and I got 3 13% on my stock portfolio, I got a 3% equity premium versus if I got a 1. 5% yield on my, on my treasury and um, got a 4.5% return on my stock portfolio. 
Mm-hmm. Now, both of those returns, whether they're high or low, are partially relative to inflation, right? Because if inflation was 10%, I need to get a higher return out of both my bond and my stock portfolio to stay ahead of it. Right. And that's the real issue, right? And versus if, if it was no inflation or negative inflation, like during the depression, at least on, at the very least, right? I wasn't getting a, a lot of yield or I wasn't getting a much in stock returns. But on the bright side, inflation was relatively low or negative. So it, it helped stave off some of the wealth erosion that I would normally have experienced. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much time we got here, Simon. All right. I just want to make sure we're on the right track. A couple of minutes, it sounds like. So the idea of this, Ethan, is, is to get a rough estimate. And if you average many uh, periods of time, the rolling, we went, went back and did rolling five-year periods and then averaged them all together. <clears throat> you can see that the difference between using this model that Bogle uses uh, is very is actually very small. The predicted return over a 10-year period versus the actual turn is return has been small over all the different time periods. And what is this model? What approach is it that you would take? So if you're if you're trying to dis- determine is Bill Gross you know off the charts here is Harry Dent crazy is this other guy one thing to do is to go anything that makes a prediction um over a a, a short period of time say less than 10 years is likely to be incredibly inaccurate um so one year predictions right months quarter you can throw those out regardless uh, we're going to take a quick break it sounds like and then uh, we'll start back up on this when we get back okay We're talking about uh, estimating forward market returns. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. We spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment. And that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune in to Real Recognition Radio, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at empiricalfs.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. 
Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. We're back, Empirical Investing Radio. Your co-host, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith here, uh, about to dive into... Uh, or across from. Well, you know, it's harder to explain that, I guess. I don't know. Okay. Uh, one of my favorite topics, capital market expectations. And uh, this quarter's letter from our firm is uh, based on this topic, and I'm excited to hear what uh, Ken's going to come up with next. But before we get to that, let's give out our contact information, if you'd like to join the show. Maybe ask a couple of uh, questions. Maybe have a, a comment. Give us a call at 866-472-5790. Again, this is a live recording, so feel free to give us a call. It's probably hard to tell because of the professionalism. Yeah, and live recording doesn't make a lot of sense either, but okay. anyhow, if you don't want to give, give us a call, you can reach us via email at contact a live broadcast. at empiradio.com. That's right, from uh, the Empirical Tower in the down, bottom of Ethan's basement. Downtown Seattle. <laughs> That's not okay. True. Not All true. joking aside, no basis this is a serious topic. So, Ethan, what we're talking about here is what would a prudent investor do if they were trying to estimate forward stock and bond market returns? And I, we started with oh interruptions. What? Real quick, they might realize it's pretty difficult to do at first. Okay, and so whatever you get is a, you know, it's only a reasonable guess. That's right. So that's the first thing I might do. Okay. It's a it's a difficult exercise, indeed, to say the least. Even when you're using the best model you can find, right? Okay, there you can't. I wouldn't make extreme adjustments to my approach based on it, regardless um, of of this, because there there the unfortunate part about investing is there's an element of it that is unpredictable. And is tied to a speculative psychological component of the market that is very hard to manage and estimate. Does that make sense? I think so. So let's start with, we were saying, why, why did these, a lot of these predictions that come out, you see them in CNBC, you see them in various web, uh, newsletters and articles and the Motley Fool and all this stuff. Why would I throw 90% of that directly into the trash bin? Um, well, number one, it's very, very difficult uh, because for short periods of time to make these types of predictions because in short intervals of time, what, what has a huge influence over the market is the speculative component we were just talking about. And one way of looking at that, Ethan, if you could open your mind briefly for me. I'll try. 
um, is just taking the sheer range of returns over short periods of time. So if you look at the difference between oh, yeah. the high return and the low return in any single year, for the S&P 500, the high years, uh, we've had a year where that, that's returned close to 54% in a single 12-month period, while we had a 12-month period that you saw a decline of 43.35%. That's a range then of 97.32% up from top to bottom returns in any given year. Right. And you're trying to make the annualized return, right, over the history has been about 977 very rarely in any single year do you get that 9.77. It is an average of positive years, which included that 54%, and a negative 43%, and a bunch of different years in between, right? But if you go out 20 years, the range is much different. It's a positive 3.11 uh, to a positive 17.88, or 10 years. It's positive 20 to about a negative 1.4. Um, the range gets much narrower. Right. So you can see this graph. We'll put it up on our, our uh, radio website. We get this done. And so just by the nature of uh, the range of returns, it's more difficult to predict the wider that range gets. So if you understand that, without understanding any of the other things, you would know, well, why is it hard? Why is it so frequently that um, people get it wrong when they make single-year projections. Mm-hmm. It's those two elements to me. To me, It's A, that in any one year, it's such a large range of outcomes you typically get. And B, single year returns uh, can be very driven by the speculative component, having nothing to do with the fundamentals. And let's talk about that. I think we should. What are the fundamental components? So one of your, uh, one of your heroes, John Maynard Keynes. Oh, I love that guy. Yeah. Great guy, one of the most influential economists of the 20th century. No question about it. If I might say so. Divided returns among those two sources, and one was investment and one was speculation. And investment, he looked at the beginning dividend yield. So if he said, hey, I'm buying a stock or an investment and it's paying a a dividend, what is that? If I'm buying a a stock that's at 10 bucks, it's paying a $1 dividend. I'm getting a 10% dividend yield on that stock, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I would need to know is, is there going to be any growth? Uh, what's the likelihood that dividend's going to grow over time? And that has to do, in large part, with the ability to grow earnings. Mm-hmm. So the intrinsic value of a stock would be based on, hey, what's the initial dividend yield and what would be the future growth rate of that if we had to break it down? Now, the speculative part of the investment return in any one year is what people are willing to pay for a particular dividend or a particular dollar of earnings. So if they were willing to pay 10 times and the stock traded at $1, it's going to trade at $10 a share, right? If they're willing to pay 20 times earnings because they think there's such a great growth opportunity in the future, yeah, right? you're paying $20 for the stock and you're paying 20 times its earnings. And... um that part, what the what the public or the market at large is willing to pay changes based on sentiment and psychology. So we've seen we've seen the, the what that PE ratio fluctuate from a low of somewhere around five times earnings historically uh, to a high of over a hundred times earnings um, during the end of the, the 
for the tech bubble, the popped, uh, the S&P was trading in the high 40s for a period of time. Yep. Um, that high of 100 and something happened actually in 2009, but you have to consider short-term aberrations to earnings. Um, if suddenly for a particular quarter, earnings disappeared for a, a very um, unique circumstance that wasn't going to be a permanent thing, that's a little bit different when you're looking at the valuation. So you, you need to understand that. But the point being, there's a wide fluctuation. The average has been about 15 times earnings, Ethan. Really putting you to sleep here. No, sir. It's not you. Oh, okay. I, it's not you at all. I need some more caffeine or something. Let me get you some inspirational music. I was up late last night. Working, I hope. Thinking about work for sure. Okay. Thinking about investors and how we can help them. That's right. I Good. Spend every it keeps you up that. at night, doesn't it? Oftentimes it does. I hope so. It's our job. Okay, well. Well, yeah, there we go. What I was saying. Hey, look the lights here. <laughs> no, just kidding. What I was saying, Ethan, before you started yawning, um, was, and I know it's not the most exciting stuff. I love capital market expectations. Oh, okay. I really yeah. do. It's just a very difficult concept to explain, I think, over over the radio. Well, without any uh, visual aids, I think that is true. Yeah, no visual aids. I, I got some music going for you. Some graphs and charts would be helpful, which we have in front of us. Just you can't see them because we're on the radio. Yeah, maybe we should just bring a camera and start broadcasting this live. Simon, is that is that, is that possible, Simon? Can you get a camera on Ethan Pronto? All right. Well, maybe for the next show we'll try that. I think that would help. I think it would help. Anyway, we were talking about your friend John Maynard Keynes and his theory of, of dividing investment between those two components. Okay. The speculative part, which is this, what people are willing to pay at any one time for that dollar of earnings, is mm-hmm. very unpredictable and, and fluctuates wildly. Indeed, um, that's true. So if you were going to use this approach... To determine what returns would be in the next 10 years, we know one thing, right? We know what the starting dividend yield is, typically. Um, we can make a, an, an estimate of earnings. And if we go back in time, when you take that initial dividend yield, if we looked at 1940, right? The dividend yield back then was much higher than it is today. It was about 5%. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you took that, and then we looked at the 10-year earnings growth from 1940, to the end of 1949, you'd see that earnings grew at about 9.8% per year. Um, the P.E. ratio closed in 1949 at about 7. Uh, it started at a higher, it was around 15 at the beginning of wow. 1940. So what happened is if you add those components together, if you said, hey, I, now I know what those are. I take my dividend yield of 5%, I'm going to add it to my 9.8% uh, uh, earnings growth. And then I'm going to look at the fact that the P.E. dropped from, say, 15 to 7. That results in a, a negative return of about 6% a year from the, the P.E. compressing down. You get a calculated return of about 8.5%. Well, what was the actual return during that time period, you're asking? Yes. I know you're on the edge of your seat. It was about 9.17. So a little more than a half a percent difference, which is very small. Hmm. For most people trying to predict what the returns are. Wow. Um, over the, if you go from 1940 to 2000, end of 2009, you break it up into decades, you're plus or minus 1% on average using this methodology. Mm-hmm. I guess it's very complicated. If you call us or you want to download this article, it'd be much easier to get this. Uh, the point of it is, is that 
it gives you a framework to say, hey, is Bill Gross, you know, chewing on some magic mushrooms or what's going on? <laughs> um, is Harry Dent a little bit out of it? Well, he might right? be actually. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, no, and, and what it enables you to do then, and what we do is we put a matrix together and we say, well, if you're going to entertain these scenarios, we know what the dividend yield is to start with, right? Right. And you'd have to say, well, uh, is the PE going to expand? Is it going to contract? That's very hard to predict. I think the most prudent way to do it is to have it revert because it tends to gravitate towards its longer term average, mm-hmm. which means there's going to be a flaw. It's not always going to work perfect. Um, but you're going to try to revert it back to some average. Right now, I think we're trading somewhere around 13 something. And uh, you'd revert it up to 15, for example. Okay. So then you have to make a projection about earnings growth, right? And so it's very easy to say, well, if the Dow's going to go from uh, where we currently are in the 13,000 range down to 3,000 range, something something has to happen to earnings, right? And uh, like I said, from 2009 to now, earnings have been growing at around 15% per year. And you'd have to make a case then, why will earnings disappear? Or why will people make be unwilling to pay average uh, multiples? Um, and so you can kind of put that together, Ethan, to get a scenario of possibilities. And I think if you do that and you say, hey, I, I realize no matter what, I can't make these short-term one-year type predictions. Um, as I get beyond five and out to ten, I can only make a reasonably good, maybe two-thirds of the time it works reasonably well. I can at least begin to make some decisions about how I want to allocate my portfolio across stocks and bonds. Mm-hmm. Um, and more importantly, I can focus on uh, getting some tunes here. Uh, oh, we've got to take a quick break, Ethan. That's right. We'll come, we'll come right back. I'm so into it. I didn't want to stop. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. 
On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have a nationally known guest that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on voiceamerica.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, Empirical Investing Radio. Your co-host here, uh, across from Ken Smith, Ethan Broga. If you'd like to give us a call, join the program, perhaps ask an intriguing question, or even ask a question off-topic, that'd be okay. Give us a call at 866-472-5790 or email us at contact at empiradio.com. And Ken, right before the break, I think this is our last segment today, right, guys? That's correct. Right. Me amigo. So we got about uh, maybe eight or nine minutes or so, and uh, we were going to... I think wrap up a little bit of the uh, capital market expectations uh, paper that that you wrote, you helped wrote uh, write this quarter, and uh, yeah, I'll do the best I can. It's it's definitely a difficult uh, it's a difficult uh, topic to tackle in this format, but uh, I think the points that we're making, hopefully, those are coming across clear. Which is, don't be distracted as a as an individual investor out there. Do not be distracted by these constant market predictions that get made up or down really develop a sound take the time hopefully to work with an advisor maybe one like ethan um to sit down and develop a sound investment strategy that's based we call it evidence-based approach to understanding where market returns come from Mm -hmm. this relationship between risk and return and part of that is accepting and i know a lot of advisors base their careers around not accepting that markets work, that that they they base it around the fact that they hope that markets don't work or they fail to work properly, um, and they base it around not accepting the fact that there's always a level of uncertainty in the market. That's why you get rewarded. So, um, trying to explain that away or get some perfect model that eliminates any of that uncertainty, you're you're setting yourself up. For failure and a bad situation. Are you saying that the accepting of the uncertainty is in, in large part responsible for the returns you actually get? That's right. Th- that's right. That's exactly what I'm saying. Right. Um, it doesn't mean that you just blindly put all your money in stocks or bonds or anything. There's still everything should be done with a measure, um, in, you know, in a measured way. Right. And so what I'm saying is, hey, the best model we can find that as any evidence to it is if you look at historically speaking and you had these components, you know what your what stocks are paying in terms of dividends, you have some reasonable estimate of what growth should be in terms of earnings. Mm-hmm. Um, at times where the price to earnings multiple is historically on the high side, future returns have been lower than when you're buying stocks that are trading at a very 
cheap valuation or low multiple. And what is unfortunate about that scenario, Ethan, is that that tends to occur um, at the most psychologically difficult time to capitalize, which is when <laughs> PEs are trading at very high multiples, not eight out of ten times. Uh, it's not because the market has dropped significantly. It's because everyone thinks every, everything is going great and they're they're paying up, particularly if you average your earnings instead of just use a particular quarter or year. But if you take the Schiller type approach and you average them out over, say, a 10-year period, or um, you, you get some of those aberrations out of the data. The point I'm making is that by the time they become cheap, it's usually because the market has been coming down. Right. And maybe earnings growth has contracted, which which helps justify why people wanted to get out of stocks. Yeah. Certainly earnings were dropping in 2008. No question. The, the, you can't argue they weren't. But the, the real issue, if you were a long-term investor, is, well, is that a short-term bump in the road? And will earnings get back onto some longer-term tra- trajectory? Mm-hmm. So far, they have. They've caught up. That's right. Uh, it's pretty interesting when you when you look at that. If you look at the earnings, even from uh, – I don't have any timer data there, but um, – we're looking at these at this decade uh, of earnings, and you look at that 2000 to 2009 period, Ethan. Yeah. Uh, earnings over that time on the S&P 500 grew at 9.25 percent a year. So that's the decade we had the tech bubble and the financial crisis. In wow. It. Yeah. It's pretty interesting, right? I don't know if if most people would think that that's amazing. You look back and say, hey, how have, how have corporate earnings done? Mm-hmm. Um, on average for the last 10 years. And the data Eric's put together for me here is, well, 9.25% per year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not bad. Not so not anyway, bad. my point is, Ethan, if you take that, like, let's just kind of get to the point. If, if you used a reasonable, if you said, hey, for the next 10 years, we have something around 5% earnings growth, if that's reasonable, okay. you'd have to make a case as to why it's not, Okay. And the current dividend yields around two percent, and we said, "Hey, the, all the PE does is gravitate towards its long-term average." You'd have a rate of return from the S and P that's around eight percent over the next ten years, eight um, percent per year. Now, is this uh, from data from the end of two thousand eleven, or through recent, more recently? Well, the yeah. data I'm giving you is our current forward would be a current forward projection from today. Okay, great. So today's dividend yield two percent. Got right? it. Mm-hmm. Um, from today going forward, ten years from now, we look back and we say, "Hey, we had five, around five percent a year uh, corporate earnings growth." Mm-hmm. Um, I can explain how you get to that number using a GDP growth rate, but you know, if you're looking at the on figure right. three, you're looking at the last one, two, three, uh, eight, seven or eight decades. Uh, the ten-year average earnings growth, I mean, five is is pretty low relative to what's happened over the last many, many, many decades. So it seems relatively conservative, is my point. Right. So it's not like that. It's not outlandish, that's for sure. So once you have that, then what we have in this matrix, you know, we've got a little bit of time here, mm-hmm. um, is you can say, well, in order, oh, maybe about uh, ninety seconds is my guess. Oh, okay. Um, we will have to continue this over. This might have to be a two-part discussion if we want to bring okay. it up next week and then move on to other. Other stuff. I think it's it's very very relevant because of the fact that everybody is searching for the new normal and what are market returns going to be. Sure. And that's why we're taking the time to update these um, 
and, and revisit it with our clients, um, because of that. And what I'm saying here now with this matrix, Ethan, you can say, well, what if we had a lower rate of return? So what if earnings in 10 years, we look back and corporate earnings were only 2.2% a year. Um, well, you'd have a return then from the S&P 500 that's around 5%, Ethan. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you calculate the return for bonds to get a comparison now, tying this back into an equity premium? Okay. One of the most effective ways of doing it is just looking at what the current 10-year yield is. So if it's 1.67, that's probably our best estimate uh, of if we put our money in a 10-year and waited for it to mature, that's what we'd get, right? And it's happened that that's worked out to be a good estimator of what your return would be. So my point would be, Ethan, um, even if you thought earnings were going to be very low, uh, much lower than the 7% over the, since 1940, the average earnings growth rate, right? Yep. Now we're down to two. If we got about less than 2% on a treasury for 10 years, you're still picking up about 3% a year equity premium. Does that make sense to you? I think it does. Um, now you can do the same exercise by now adding in different ending PE ratios. You can say, hey, what if people, get very pessimistic. Um, you take a look at those, and I have it in the graph here, and we can talk about it, but we're out of time. Hey, I think you should mention that this, this yes, quarterly letter will it. be posted to our website, empiricalfs.com here, within a week or so. Yes, within a week for your like viewing pleasure. The full version of this uh, analysis, uh, feel free to check our website out. Well, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll talk more about this next week. Empirical Investing Radio, have a great week. you've enjoyed empirical investing radio with ken smith and ethan broga please join us again next thursday afternoon at 5 p.m eastern time and 2 p.m pacific time on the voice america business channel and for more information about empirical investing radio please call 800-923-4307 we'll see you next week